0: Bible in front of you, I would invite you at this point to turn back to that portion of scripture we read in Genesis, Genesis chapter 22. I'll read part of verses 7 and 8 again. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God Himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. God Himself will provide the lamb. For the burnt off. Okay, so the readers digest. Uh, uh, recently ran a competition, and uh, was a competition to find the best true life short story. True life short story. The rules were very, very, very simple. The story had to be short. Obviously. And the story had to be true. Obviously. And the story had also to be kind of dramatic now i read some of the entries and they were good they were good but none of them not one of them even begins to compare with what you've got in front of you this morning doesn't even begin to compare because this account eh, the testing of abraham surely this is the greatest true short story. It is supreme above all others. Now, one guy wrote about this chapter. He wrote this. He said, so long as men live in this world, they will turn to this story with unwaning interest. There is only one scene in history by which it is surpassed, It is second only to the cross of Christ. Folks, stick with this. Because this is a remarkable story. So let's get into it. And let's consider three points from this section of Scripture. And I'll give you those three points just now. Firstly, we'll look at the testing of God... We'll look at the testing of God. Then we'll look at the provision of God. And then thirdly, a bit later on, we'll look at the blessing of God. So you got those? The testing, the provision, and the blessing of God. Right, let's think about the testing, the testing of God. So this week I also read about uh, the procedures that you need to go through if you want to become a NASA astronauts now i assure you this was not because i am planning some sort of dramatic uh, career change it was just out of sheer curiosity but it was fascinating to see what is expected of nasa candidates now they are required to swim length after length after length of an olympic size swimming pool which sounds kind of bad enough Then you learn that they have to do that wearing the full and complete uh, space suit which sounds surely impossible. But you can understand why, can't you? You can understand why NASA put their candidates through this type of extreme testing. You see, they want to work out where these guys are. They want to work out their strengths. They want to work out their weaknesses. They want to help and encourage their candidates to. And, Folks, this portion of scripture that we've read. It deals with a similar thing. Okay? It deals with the extreme testing of Abraham. Extreme testing. So let's think about that. And let's think about a couple of aspects of this testing. Firstly... Friends, see here the reality that sometimes God tests his people. Okay? God. God tests his people. Now, we're we're told that right from the beginning of this account. That is the first thing that we're we're told here. Because this instruction for Abraham to set off on a journey, this instruction... What an instruction, a command to kill your son. That instruction doesn't come from Satan. It doesn't come from the devil. It doesn't come from the people around Abraham. What we told verse 1, God tested Abraham. God tested And the Hebrew construction of that sentence is very, very interesting. Because the name of God is plucked out of where it would normally sit in the sentence, and it is moved, and it is moved forward, it's moved near the beginning of the verse. Now, why is that? The name's moved so that you and I realize when we're reading this, that, yeah, this is a, an incredible command, but God is ruling over this situation here. The name is moved so we know who is in charge here. The name is moved so we know that it is God who is putting Abraham to the test. And folks, that has surely an implication for your life. It does. Because that means that as Christians, we should be expecting... Difficult times. That as Christians, we should expect a test. And test after test from God. Now, if we think about that, and if we think about scripture, we see that that is the frequent testimony of the Bible, isn't it? All the way through, God tests his people. Think about it. From the beginning of the Bible. From this command in Eden... Not to eat of the fruit of that tree. Right the way through to the patience that is required as we await the second coming of Jesus Christ. All the way through, God tests his people. God tests his people. Okay, second thing about this testing. Think about the scale of it, the scale of this test, my friends, wh- what do you think? Do you think that there has ever been among man a greater test than the one you've got in front of you there? Has there a greater test than this? I don't know. As a dad, as a father, or a wee boy. I shudder when I think about the situation that Abraham is put in here. You see, the guy's given a choice, isn't he? Abraham is given a dreadful choice. He can choose between his son that he loves and God whom he loves. It is a testing of the highest order. It's a testing almost beyond comprehension. And the thing about it, is that it is lonely testing, isn't it? It's so, so lonely. Abraham stands alone here. He doesn't tell his wife. He doesn't tell Sarah. He doesn't tell these two servants that he's got with him. He can't, can he? You know, if he tells these people, he knows that they're going to try and talk him out of all of this. Abraham stands alone. It's lonely testing. And it's also sustained. It's sustained testing. It's testing over a period of time. Because, again, God doesn't say to, to Abraham, the command is not, Abraham, build an altar here. Come on, Abraham, build an altar. Put your son on it and sacrifice him. That's not the command. The command is to go, isn't it? The command is to leave. The command is to go to Moriah. The command is to travel. Now think about that journey. Think about how intense and agonizing that would have been. Abraham knows what he has to do. And day after day as he travels, he's tortured by that. So it's lonely and it's sustained and... It is uncertain as well. You see, Abraham didn't know Moriah. It's not his homeland. He didn't know what was there. He didn't know what was in store for him. He didn't know anything about Moriah. He didn't know what was around the corner. As he traveled, no doubt, there was worry and concern. It was uncertain testing too. Now, friends, one thing is... um, One thing is sure for your life and for my life, and that is that we will um, experience great testing and we will experience great difficulty. These things are coming, and perhaps they've come already for you today. You know, perhaps you are in a situation today where you are lonely, really lonely. You know, perhaps you're in a situation today where this difficult situation that you're facing is dragging on, that there doesn't seem to be any end to it whatsoever. And perhaps you're in a difficult situation. Perhaps this morning you are facing a test. A test that brings with it worry and anxiety, but uncertainty. Well, if that's the case, consider how Abraham responded here to this command and this test. Now, how did he respond? Well, if your Bible's open, it is there. Just have a quick glimpse at the beginning of verse 3. Because it's amazing. God tells Abraham to leave. Go to Moriah. Sacrifice your son. What a command. What a dreadful command in some ways. How does Abraham respond? Early the next morning abraham got up and he saddled his donkey now do you not think that is amazing he's been commanded to sacrifice his son and there isn't any hesitancy there isn't any delay there is no protest to god there is no objection he jumps to it what does he do he trusts god And he obeys God. And folks, that's a model for you. That is a model for me. And what a model it is. You see, get this. The times of greatest testing and difficulty in our lives, they also have to be the times of greatest trusting and greatest Obedience. You see, friends, why? Why is it that God brings difficulty into our lives? Why would a God of love and grace and goodness, why would he bring difficulty to your door? Well he does that because he knows that by testing us God can bring his people closer to him. He tests you for your own spiritual good. So if you are going through a trial this morning then know this before we move on. Know that you're going through this test because your God loves you. How he loves you. And know that this test has been sent so that you walk in closer proximity to him so it's a testing from God I read a story um, at the beginning of the week of a tornado a tornado that struck uh, western Pennsylvania in the United States I think it was It struck many many years ago and it came by surprise and uh, it hit or it surprised this team of kids who were playing I think it was Little League Baseball at the time and the story that I read concerned a guy called David Kostka and he was I think the referee of this Little League team or maybe the head coach but I think he was the referee and Kostka had a choice he could leg it you know he could run and make his, his, his escape from this tornado or he could try and save his niece who was on the team this little girl and she was at the other end of the ground and so of course what Koska did was run towards his niece and he got to her just in the nick of time and he chucked her into this ditch that surrounded the pitch of the ground And he lay on top of her and he laid on her as this tornado struck. And the little girl was lying there and she heard the noise and the chaos of this tornado as it hit. And then the noise calmed and the tornado had passed and the wee girl realized that her uncle was no longer lying on top of her, that Her uncle had been taken and her uncle had died. And he died. Saving her. So let's see the second thing. Keep that in mind as we look at the provision of God. So what do Abraham and Isaac do here? Well, they leave their servants and they travel up this mountainside together. And then Isaac... He speaks to his dad and asks his dad what surely was quite a heart-wrenching question because he says, "You know, Dad, the fire and the weeder here, but where's the lamb? Come on. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And then Abraham speaks to Isaac and he says to him, God will provide the lamb. He will. And he did, didn't he? You know, just at the the highest point of this test at the most intense point of this test what does God do? God stops Abraham from killing his son and he provides a ram a ram that is what caught by his horns in a thicket this is wonderful and it's timely provision but if we're going to understand this chapter And if we're going to understand anything to do with this ram, then we've got to get our heads around the fact that what's happening here is that a biblical principle, an enormous, a massive, a significant biblical principle is being revealed here for the first ever time. Because... In this incident with the ram, God revealed for the very, very first time, he revealed as never before that he was willing to accept a substitute. He was willing to accept a substitute, wasn't he? God accepted a ram in place of Isaac. Now, we see that principle, that biblical principle of substitution we see it in other places in Scripture, don't we? We see it at the Passover. You know, the blood in the door instead of the people. We see it at the Day of Atonement. Do you know the Day of Atonement? God, instead of judging the people for their sin, if the people symbolically place their sin on the head of a goat, that God will accept the goat the scapegoat instead of the people the goat was a substitute and we see this biblical principle of substitution we see it in all its glory where? we see it at the cross of Jesus Christ friends the truth is the truth is that your salvation is only possible because there there At Calvary, God not only accepted a substitute, but he provided the substitute too. You see, Abraham spoke of a lamb, didn't he? He said that God would provide a lamb. And then after him, the prophet Isaiah, what did he say? He spoke of a lamb being led to the slaughter. Then, after him, what were John the Baptist's first words as he saw Jesus Christ for the first time? Behold, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Friends, that Lamb, that was your substitute. That lamb was your substitute. And you see, there was, no, there was no voice from heaven calling that day that would stop this sacrifice. There was no voice of the angel of God who stopped Jesus' death. He died. And he died as a substitute. And friends, he died substituting for you. And so, if you are going through a difficult time and this morning, if you are struggling because you are being tested, then hold on to that marvelous provision of God and take this away with you today. Take... This home. Take it into your heart. Romans 8.32 Hear this verse. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Friend, have no doubt that if God was willing to give up his own son, his own son as your substitute, then how much more will he also provide absolutely everything that you need to get through this present difficulty? God is a God of love, and he's a God of provision. news this week um, that a judge in Ireland that he has called for the Bible to be replaced by a, a, a civil oath in the courts of the land, in the courts of Ireland and in some ways I can see where the guy's going, I can see why the judge is calling for this because he felt really that too many people were were willing to lie in court because they didn't believe on what they were swearing. They were willing to lie because they didn't believe in the Bible. So he wants something different, this judge. He wants something that people believe in. He wants something that substantiated the oath that people would take in court. And that, leads us in our third our final point this morning and that is the blessings of god the blessings of god because we see at the end of the chapter that god swears an oath doesn't he god swears an oath so verses kind of verses 15 to 17 they constitute the, the last, the very last things that the, the, the Lord God is recorded as saying to Abraham. And in these words, God swears an oath. But not only that, it's a special oath. He swears an oath, the Lord, on himself. He swears by himself. He swears on himself. Now, why does he do that? Only, you know, you can read Genesis from beginning to end. And you will never find God do something like this. This is a unique thing that he does here. So why swear on himself? Well, he does that because surely there is nothing higher for him to swear on. You know, he wants this promise that he's about to make Abraham. He wants Abraham to know that this is a sure promise. That this is an unbreakable promise. So he swears by the holiest thing. He swears by the loftiest thing. He swears by the highest thing that there is. He swears by himself. So, we get it. It's important. The promise is important. That's obvious. But what was it? What did God promise Abraham? Well, first thing he promised to me reaffirms that old promise made earlier on in genesis he promises that through isaac people's going to emerge that uh, this is going to be a people and through isaac abraham's offspring are going to be numerous as numerous as what as the stars in the sky and the sun that's fine the second aspect of this promise is remarkable is, folks, if you hear anything that is said this morning, please hear this. Because the NIV in verse 17, the end, the second part of verse 17, it puts the offspring in the plural. It refers to the descendants of Abraham. But hear this, that is not what the original has. And that is not what the Hebrew has. That is not what the Lord God wrote. You see, the promise that God made to Abraham was of a singular descendant. The promise is of one person. The promise is of one coming descendant, a singular descendant that would subdue And defeat his enemies. One person that would come. And through whom blessing and joy would come to every nation under the sun. In Galatians 3, Paul says this. He says that this promise here, spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Paul says the scripture does not say, and to his seed's meaning many people, but unto your seed. In one person. Friends, do you get it? Do you? Could it be any clearer? The promise that the Lord God makes in his last words to Abraham, the promise that was so important that the Lord swears on himself, it is a promise of a coming Messiah. It is a promise of a Savior. It is the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, folks, God tested Abraham, and He did that so that ultimately Abraham would be blessed with a greater knowledge of a Savior. And so you're being tested today, are you? Are you going through a difficult time? friends, you are going through that because God wants you to know that that promise has been fulfilled he wants you to know with greater surety and with a greater experience you are saviour and then we end this morning with this one thing we've talked about it before we never really answered it why 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 did God not just tell Abraham to build an altar there? Why did he make a move? Why not say, Abraham, build your altar here, put Isaac on it, sacrifice your son here? Why did he say, go? Why did he say, travel? And why specify Moriah? Well we learn the answer to that. Second Chronicles, it tells us there that Moriah was to become the place where King Solomon would ultimately build his temple. We learn there that Moriah was to become a town, a city. We learn that Moriah was to become Jerusalem. Where, yeah, this ram was killed. But where years, years later, there would be a substitutionary day. There would be the substitutionary day of the Lamb of God. Friends, God tested Abraham and he promised a saviour. This, this is a foreshadow of Calvary, where the greatest ever true story was told. Let's pray.